Welcome to What's Wrong With Wolfie. Greetings and welcome to What's Wrong With Wolfie, a retro podcast dedicated to the pop culture of the 80s, 90s and zeros. My name is Jason. I'm Chris. And I'm Steve. No Rich this week, unfortunately, but we are joined by a special guest. Uh, So please put your hands together and welcome to the Wolfie Pod, a writer for an illustrious publication such as Empire Magazine, GQ and The Guardian Newspaper and host of the Scripts Apart podcast. Please welcome Mr Al Horner. Hey guys, I hope people really do put their hands together wherever they're listening. Like on the tube, I think you might get some weird looks, but yeah, just go with yeah. it. That would be great, wouldn't it, actually? Part of the new thing when we have a guest on the podcast is uh, just putting a little bit of um, audience clapping, as I as I mention your name. So at least we'll get some claps in at least somewhere. Hey, I'll, t- I'll take whatever standing ovations I can get, even if they're, you know, edited in and completely fictional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, now we're joined by Al Horner. I'm very excited to talk to you for for a couple of reasons, really, which we'll get into pretty much with the, some of the questions that we've got lined up for you. And then afterwards, I asked you if you could pick something that means something special to you in the films, TV and video game world. And I think the pick that you've chosen is uh, will be quite a popular one amongst many people. So, But before we do that, we've got a few questions for you, Al, if, if, you're, if you're happy to answer some for us. Yeah, let's do it. Let's get into it. Awesome. Well, if anyone wants to listen that doesn't know who you are, then please, who are you? <laughs> oh, God, I'm, uh, that question is going to send me on an existential spiral. <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> so I'm a journalist and a screenwriter. And um, because I'm a white man in his 30s, by law, I'm a podcaster. You can't be a straight white man in your 30s without having a podcast. Um, Can confirm. That, yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah, that was it. Uh, yeah, so... Um, yeah, I write, as as you guys kindly alluded to, I write for Empire Magazine and I write for The Guardian. I've just written a 10-part series for the BBC that's airing later this year called Life and Death in the Magic Kingdom. And uh, yeah, my uh, what some pe- this is a podcast, so presumably people who listen to this are listening to other podcasts as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you may well know me from, from Script Apart, which is uh, yeah, a little kind of what began as a pandemic project and then sort of spiraled greatly, greatly out of control. It's um, yeah, it's a podcast about the first draft secrets of great movies and TV shows. So each wow. episode, we have a uh, an acclaimed screenwriter revisiting their first draft of what became either yeah a beloved movie or an amazing TV show. And we've had all sorts of guests. It's been running for about three years now, and it's simultaneously the love of my life and the bane of my life. I don't know whether <laughs> yeah. you guys have that with uh, with your podcast, but yeah, sure. it's a real love-hate relationship we have. Mm-hmm. Um, love because it's really good fun to do and I really enjoy the episodes, but it can be tough sometimes. Absolutely. But as, we, as we're talking about the podcast, you've had some extremely interesting people onto the podcast and some some are like, you know, audibly gone, wow, I can't believe that he's got to speak to this person or that person. But what's it like for you when... When these people say yes to you and, you and you get to speak to them, are you are you anxious or excited or? Well, I mean, there are a couple of things. The uh, 
the the yeses are what people don't see when they you know subscribe to script part and they just see all these big names in their feed is um you know there's there's a lot of no's <laughs> for every yes mm, yeah. there's a lot of no's and sure. even those yeses it's a case of like it's a yes after previous no's where it hasn't worked with their schedule so yeah it's uh it's always there's always kind of a feeling of like oh wow they said yes okay <laughs> yeah. um that sounds, uh, like what, that sounds like what I was like when you said yes. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, in terms of like the actual recordings, it's just kind of elation, really. Like I, I started just to be completely transparent. Um, the, 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 the podcast began as a way of like, as I mentioned, I'm a screenwriter myself. And uh, I thought that it would be, a. I didn't anticipate getting the level of names that we have done because we've had everyone from... Aaron Sorkin to Barry Jenkins to uh, well the Daniels you know uh, as we're speaking on the back of the Oscars like so many great incredible screenwriters have come on the show and uh, in many cases I, I never would have imagined anyone like like that would be available or be be so generous with their time to come on the show but um yeah what it began very much as like a way of me trying to improve my own screenwriting and thinking mm-hmm. how can I leverage my journalist credentials into getting Edgar Wright to tell me where the hell I'm going wrong with my own writing. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's been really, really great in in that regard. And yeah, in terms of the actual recordings, like I don't particularly get anxious just because I've been interviewing for so long. I've been a journalist for got about 10 years now and uh, all that stuff's fine. But um, it's kind of afterwards the, uh, yeah, there is like a bit of a sort of post-record euphoria where I'm like, <laughs> oh wait, did Mike Flanagan just tell me, give me two hours of, absolute gold about dr sleep did uh yeah, yeah did james gunn really just like hang out for like the last hour with me talking about the suicide squad so you know it's it's afterwards that kind of it can set in that you realize i really enjoyed that conversation and the buzz i got out of it i really hope our listeners get to yeah and um sorry i'm screwing all our questions out the window um and stuff here sorry guys but like <laughs> you know you don't you don't always talk to screenwriters of like present films as well do you I mean you, you fit quite into what we we talk about with the kind of retro and uh, movies and such and you've had quite a lot of screenwriters that have come and talked about the the older films uh, I think recently you had sorry I've, I'm really terrible names listeners know this but the the, the writer from Groundhog Day yeah Danny um, Rubin came on yeah that's right and my most jealous one I think was William Wisher from Terminator 2, which obviously, very jealous considering the name of this podcast. So, you know, soon we'll know how much of course, yeah. Terminator 2 is uh, quite special in my place. So, I mean, that must have been quite a great conversation to have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a great one. That was the close of our first season and our second season finished with Back to the Future. We always try and like end on a bit of a high, end with a movie that, um, yeah, is that kind of, is in that kind of classic realm. Um, yeah, like we, we've been really lucky. I, I grew up very much on, uh, you know, those movies. The the 90s was kind of my formative time in terms of, you know, consuming media and sort of starting to kind of understand what storytelling was and all that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, I was born in 87. So movies like Speed, uh, well, actually Speed's a bit of a misnomer because that was, I think, 94. So I was a bit Mm -hmm. young for that. But, uh, you know, like discovering, discovering movies like independence day for example which mm-hmm. which we actually haven't covered on the pod that's not a great example but um movies like that you know they're to me still to this day like the feeling that i got watching jurassic park for the first time that's very much like uh 
yeah, I'll never get that feeling back. And I continue to love, love, love movies to this day. But yeah, those some of those 90s movies, discovering them either on release or a couple of years later when my mum and dad rented them from Blockbuster or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just such a special feeling for me. So um, yeah, I think if I was to do a bit of an audit of the movies that we have covered on the show, I think like the 90s and uh, yeah, the, some of the same kind of nostalgia era kind of content that, that you guys cover, that would probably be the bulk of it i imagine or it would yeah a majority yeah probably a slight majority would be from the 90s yeah it it hasn't kind of been on purpose like it the the kind of classics side of uh what we do on script apart that was it was kind of born out of the fact that this this came out during the pandemic and at the time we didn't have movies coming out it we we basically like began it as a kind of like classics podcast kind of like in the same vein as the rewatchables but but speaking to the people who wrote it so yeah that that's kind of how it began and it was only afterwards that we started to get these invitations from uh people who did have films coming out who yeah was just like well we'd love to cover we, we'd love to come on the show and talk about it so yeah that that ended up with a much more kind of even split so yeah like the the last th- this season we're just approaching the end of our third season and this season has been a mix of as you say groundhog day like absolute classics mm-hmm. but it's it's also been like most of the most of the oscar front runners you know like uh, the fablemans like everything everywhere like all of those films we we did episodes on speaking to the writers avatar 2 you know so it's nowadays it's a bit a bit more of a kind of 50 50 mix if not more new films but yeah certainly back in the day it was it was all classics and like even like you know talking to the about the new films are still just as interesting because um they've just got great stories to tell i think the best one recently was again sorry names but for the for the whale uh briar oh yeah that was a really interesting one samuel d hunter yeah that was great it's I mean, it's it's interesting. The that obviously is so new, and uh, when we're doing the kind of more nostalgic ones where they came out decades ago, like an interesting path I like to go on with the screenwriter, with the guest is, you, you know, like what was the aftermath, and what was the kind of cultural impact, and and why do you think it did or didn't resonate, and all those things are uh, harder to do when it's a film like The Whale, which has only just come out, and uh, yeah, you kind of have to go down other kind of avenues as an interviewer i suppose but you just end up finding different things to talk about and uh yeah samuel was great he uh Mm. yeah like i think like this this oscar season i I don't know why but a lot of the recent guests we've had like charlotte wells who who made after sun tony kushner who co-wrote the fablemans with with spielberg like their films that have kind of they have like seeds of autobiography in but they're fictionalized but it kind of blurs that boundary a little bit and um yeah so samuel samuel and i spoke about that and uh that was a really fascinating conversation and why it is what it was maybe about the pandemic yeah led to a bit more kind of soul searching on on the part of screenwriters and storytellers and and why it is the kind of front-running projects for this year's awards have all have seemingly all had that seed of autobiography Apart from Avatar 2, I don't think James Cameron ever had a, <laughs> a, a, a crazy adventure on a uh, yeah. on a whale planet, but who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? So you mentioned some film experiences there from the 90s, uh, some very fun film experiences from the 90s, and boy, do I have a podcast for you. It's called What's Wrong with Wolfie? You should get into it. Um, but can you think of any sort of specific moments from your early film watching career that really 
gave you that feeling of okay films this is a thing that i'm into this is a thing that i'm going to be passionate about for my whole life yeah it, it was really late on that i think i realized that i mean late on I'm, I'm 35 yeah it was it was much later in life that i realized that my kind of passion for movies could be something i could write about could be something i could uh you know podcast about and all that sort of thing because I was, I was a music journalist for the longest time and uh yeah it was only a, a good sort of I suppose like four years ago that I started kind of moving more into film and that coincided with me screenwriting as well. The the kind of real formative moments early on, although it never led me to the sort of understanding that like I could create a life based around this passion. Um, as I say, I think like the moment in Independence Day when, um, <laughs> which now I can go back to and recognize as a thoroughly silly movie. But at the time I was like genuinely terrified, genuine, genuinely elated. And uh, yes, specifically, I just remember like the feeling when there's the big kind of like canyon chase, the the Will Smith in his uh, you know, fighter jet chasing down these aliens, or maybe it's the other way around. And um, the alien ship crashes, Will Smith kind of gets out and kind of walks up to it. And there's this jump scare where the alien kind of like opens the hatch and you see for the first time in the movie, his the, the aliens uh, kind of form and it's terrifying. And I just remember being petrified in that moment. <laughs> but then Will Smith just punches him and goes, welcome to earth. And I just remember like thinking that was the single greatest thing I had ever experienced in my life <laughs> at that time. So yeah, I think like that um, Jurassic Park, like the sheer awe of it, like I know literally everyone must say that, but um, mm. for, for me, like, yeah. And the sort of sunglasses off scene where, you know, they see the, I want to say Brachiosauruses. I think that's the, the that name. That sounds of the right. Sounds mm -hmm. about right. Like that was a real, yeah, just such a special kind of eye-opening to the, the the power of storytelling i suppose and specifically like the power of cinema as as a way of it's just the most uh like i guess I, i'd always been a reader but movies like that where they kind of did the imagining for you and they leveraged so many other kind of like senses sound the music in that is amazing in Jurassic park it's obviously amazing john williams like visuals that the effects were astonishing like i just remember it all kind of coming together and that was probably the earliest point when I realized or those two films were two of the mm. earliest points when I realized that there was like, a, yeah, sort of a coming together of all these different disciplines that resulted in something unlike anything else. Like it was it was unlike the books I read. It was unlike the music I listened to. Like this was the medium in which I wanted to consume storytelling, I suppose. I definitely didn't articulate it like that at the time. I was like seven. <laughs> I was like, these yeah. are cool. But, uh, yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah. <laughs> no, Jurassic Park is a really special one. And I remember seeing trailers for that on the television and thinking, I'm, what I'm watching is impossible. Like, they brought dinosaurs back to life. How How is that possible? Like, it's mag magical. And I, I, I claim that that is the first film I ever saw in the cinema, even though I actually know that that's not true. I'm fairly sure it was Home Alone, but that's a lot less cool. That's um, still very cool. I feel like mine brilliant. was probably like yeah. the Wild Thornberries movie or something like that. That's <laughs> way more credible. Yeah. I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. 
cool. Are, are, are there any films that you watched in the nineties that you've come back to as an adult that you've gained sort of a different perspective on? Obviously, Independence Day blew your mind at the time. You've come back to it. You can still enjoy it, but you recognise that it's a little bit junk foody. Are there any other films where you've had that sort of experience? Maybe in the other direction, where you sort of gain a like a more profound perspe- perspective on it as an adult? Yeah, I mean, so so many. I think like. What I do love about, not to get too profound about it, but what I do love about sort of movies in general is just how time capsule they can be. And even even a story like, well, I guess to give you a modern equivalent, like when we look back on in, in 30 years on the MCU and its dominance of this era, there'll be, despite the fact that those movies are completely fantastical, there'll be things that we're able to read about this particular time in human existence and like Western society uh, specifically, like from those movies and within that sort of fantasia. Yeah. Any, any movie carries with it something of its time. And that's certainly true of today. And it was certainly true of the nineties when I was growing up. And so many of those films are kind of imbued with these, these different attitudes of the time and sort of Mm. uh, often like worries at the time. Like The Matrix, well, I'll give you two two movies that are probably the, the most, you know, seminal in terms of like my my kind of relationship with the form. Like The the Matrix is, um, I was like the perfect age to discover that movie. I think I was 97, so I was 10. And yeah, it just blew my mind. I had never, ever, ever, ever kind of had an existential thought or anything, a philosophical <laughs> thought in my entire life. And then all of a sudden, like... You know, I was quite kind of back to back almost with the other movie I'm about to mention. I was kind of having to be confronted with these, you know, grand existential dilemmas of like, what what is real? Are you real? Like, and all these kind of things. <laughs> and um, in the case of The Matrix, what I've come to realize now, decades on, is like, there was a lot of kind of Y2K anxiety going, going around. And, you know... Th- computing was on such a brink in terms of the way it was like creeping into our lives and um and and there's there's a lot in that film and many other movies from around that time in terms of just like that that paranoia about like where technology was going to take us as we kind of like tumbled into this new millennium and uh i'm sort of fascinated by that so my, my kind of my relationship often with a lot of these movies kind of gets better the further away from release it is because it becomes more of a discovery tool into like, well, what was going on in the 90s or what was going on in the early 2000s? The the other movie that I should mention in this regard that again, I think like I've had sort of a changing relationship to and and have kind of, I, I find something more profound in it each time is The Truman Show. And The Truman Show is actually the, um, that's actually the movie that sort of started Script Apart. I was, um, Looking for the script, uh, I was working on a screenplay that was not very tangential, but kind of vaguely in the same ballpark and kind of wanted to reference something. I wanted to see what something looked like on the page. And I went searching for that and for the, for the, for the screenplay for that. And I accidentally came across a first draft that had leaked online. And um, the first draft of The Truman Show is completely different to the finished product. And that's kind of what gave me the idea for like, I should do an entire podcast about this where, you know, we're just looking at all the differences, why things change. But yeah, the Truman Show, just like in terms of where we were going to go in terms of reality TV and then consequentially social media, it's so fascinating in terms of what it's talking about in terms of all that stuff. And uh, the more that time goes on, the more I'm like, uh, you know, 
I'm kind of all the more kind of in admiration of that film for what it was articulating and what it was exploring. So, um, yeah, a lot of these movies, I kind of my love for them only really grows as mm. as the years go on. I suppose I I can't decide whether or not the Truman Show turned out to not be an accurate prediction of the future or if it completely nailed it because obviously we moved <laughs> away from like reality television in the literal sense but then you remember what's going on on social media and you're like oh shit no it got everything correct uh yeah yeah i think there's an Bonkers. argument to be made that like you know we've all willingly turned ourselves into trumans yes exactly uh-huh. yeah that's it yeah we nice. more accurate um, boy, hey, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about your writing as well as as your podcast. Obviously, that's uh, another big part of your of your job. Like, did you always kind of want to be a writer? Well, obviously, I first and foremost wanted to be a Premier League footballer, and at the age of thirty five, I'm slowly coming <laughs> to grips with the idea that might not happen. It could still happen. <laughs> never, man. It could still happen. Come on. Hey, I mean, like, is it so crazy to imagine that, like? Gareth Southgate is, you know, his car breaks down outside the Homerton football pitch that I play on on Thursday nights. And it's like, wait, who's that guy? You know, it could still happen. It's not, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, my my parents were both English teachers. So I was brought up around stories. And yeah, it was it was quite early that I took to writing. And I think like, uh, I mean, it took till, yeah, till the pandemic to realize that like, I've I've been writing, but I've been writing about other people's writing, if you like, for a long mm-hmm. time. And I would like to um I'd like to sort of tell my own stories. Uh so yeah, it's 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 been a kind of long road to actually sort of switching over and, and kind of yeah, moving to the other side of that divide. And yeah, that's an ongoing process. Yeah, it's an exciting one. I always wanted to be a production designer for film and TV, but it never happened for me. <laughs> and it <laughs> I, I went into chefing, my second best interest in the end. Awesome. But what what was your route to, did it just kind of like free flow? Did you sort of just, did it just sort of happen organically? Or like, did you have to really sort of knuckle down and, and sort of like focus on, say, screenwriting, for instance? Well, I've always had like creative outlets. Like I, you know, I've, I've always made music and I've been in bands and, you know, I, I've always kind of like, been like had a creative process i suppose but um in terms of the screenwriting it actually really didn't flow out of me and that again is kind of partly why i started the podcast because well basically whenever i sat down and tried to write my first draft would invariably be abysmal and just like just absolutely kind of littered with plot holes and things that didn't make sense and characters that were inconsistent and all this kind of thing and I gave myself kind of a hard time about it because I was like I felt like I was failing but then I I I had a sense that like well maybe actually everyone's first draft is kind of bad and maybe the purpose of the first draft isn't to get it right first time it's to kind of like just splurge a bunch of ideas on the page and yeah in, over the course of doing the podcast I've realized that, you know, sure, there are some people like Barry Jenkins who wrote Moonlight in two weeks and just nailed it first time pretty much. But but for the most part, you know, like we did an episode, as I say, on Back to the Future. The first draft of Back to the Future was 
all over the shop and <laughs> yeah. yeah they had like yeah. a pet monkey and you know yeah. this it was there was a I've, fridge I've involved. read the first drafts and it's it's fascinating to see the process change and evolve yeah yeah it, yeah the, the podcast has been pretty instrumental just in terms of my own writing and realizing that like no wait your, your first draft is you've got to give you you've got to give yourself permission to be bad at something and trust that that is how you get good at something and I, I, I like to think that that kind of is a, is something that stretches across any kind of form of creativity oh fa- failure is always an option it's yeah. part of the human condition isn't it if you don't fail you don't learn and you don't adapt and you don't move on and yeah but it's, it's really very easy it's really easy to be like scared off by the failures though and it's mm. really easy to be especially in a time of like social media where you know all of us have been kind of trained to you know we exist in a digital space where everyone is presenting the best sides of themselves first and it's you know that's what they're projecting and the honesty about the failures is is maybe less upfront i think like in that context it's really easy sometimes to be so daunted by things being bad at first that it's easy to give up basically and i almost did and maybe without having done the show i I possibly would have you know so uh yeah, it's 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 been an interesting journey. That's where my segue was for the question because I remember I was I was at school doing my A levels. I was doing graphic design and fine art, and wanted to be a production designer. And I was I've still got some of my stuff, and I just couldn't wrap my head around not so much deadlines, but the whole planning and structure. It's ultimately, it didn't. I didn't go to college or university to pursue it any further, but didn't scare me off I just had that inferiority complex and then I just backed away entirely <laughs> from it and I and it's only when you sit back and as an adult nearly 40 and you're just like why didn't I just <laughs> crack on and carry on and I just didn't and it's just nice to hear from someone like yourself who just didn't give up who did go the distance and really put your all in and it's just nice to hear from yeah but the, flip, the flip side of that man is like I can barely like cook toast you know? <laughs> You're a chef. Oh, well, Chris! That's Chris, a... Chris makes incredible toast. Incredible. Yeah, that's <laughs> what he does. Yeah. That was that was the the funniest thing. I I never wanted to become. It was never a dream of mine. I was looking through college courses, and I was like, I have a passing interest in it, and I thought, do you know what? <laughs> Why not? And yeah, <laughs> I've loved it. I've loved it ever since. You have your bad days, you have your good days, but but it's it's been a been a good good run, and I've been really enjoyed it actually. And, That's awesome. But then without going to study, I wouldn't have met my wife, and I wouldn't be where I am now. So you can look at it from that side as well. Exactly. Yeah. So everything happens for a reason. Everything happens. For a yes, sure does. But, so yeah. In 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 terms of learning from failures, I think that's what's so valuable about the amount of insight that we get into the production of movies mm. these days, and what's so valuable about podcasts like Script Apart is because it's very easy to look at these finished products that are super that are super polished and incredible, and go, "Everyone there is a genius." That's an impossible. Like I can't I I can't reach that level uh, of skill. And while it's definitely true that there are geniuses, of course. Uh, having this uh, kind of insight really informs you that there's a lot of failure along the way and there's a lot of graft and there's a lot of, you know, you hear stories about productions of films that are an absolute nightmare, but they get made because everybody's there because they're passionate about it uh, and everyone loves what they're doing. And so that gives you some perspective and it makes makes you think, actually, I could do that because I'm pretty good at failing as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. And to, to be honest, that is like not to be too cheesy about it, but like one of the most rewarding parts about doing the show is the amount of people who do get in touch and say like, you know, it's it's kind of been uh it's it's kind of demystified or or made less daunting the whole process because yeah as you say like our assumption is these people are just geniuses this script and this story must have come to them in a bolt of lightning mm. but actually like it's oh god it's it's like it's archaeology you just you've got like a giant kind of mess of rock and all this kind of nonsense in front of you and it, yeah these 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 screenwriters who come on the show for the most part unless they are Barry Jenkins, they've had to kind of really like dig and dig and dig and dig and work, graft, as you say, to kind of actually unearth the gold in there. That was a pretty mixed metaphor, but it just about held together. <laughs> it worked, it worked. There's gold. Archaeology is not the search for gold. I don't know what I'm talking about. No. <laughs> oh, whoops. <laughs> Has there been a particular guest that has left you awestruck? I know, I know, we kind of touched on this earlier, but you know, if you feel like elaborating on any in particular, God, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, most of them do in one way or another. It, you know, there's there's always something that I like take away from the recording that like, and bearing in mind we've done about seventy of these. Like there's always something that kind of radicalizes my approach to writing in some way and gives me and arms me with like a new tip or like a new trick that I can use. I think like there there have been kind of episodes where like I've been awestruck because of the kind of profile of the person. I mean, like Tony Kushner's won like the Pulitzer Prize, you know. <laughs> Noah Baumbach is like one of this generation's great filmmakers. Lee Unkrich made Toy Story, you know, like there mm. there are all sorts of these like big names who's profile i suppose there's sometimes i'm more struck because of just what the film meant to me at like a pivotal time like we had rich kelly on who did donnie darko and you know again in terms of like films just uh you know finding you at the exact moment you need to like i i came across that as quite a you know angsty teen and uh yeah that was a special one for me but um <laughs> I, th I think like just the the most kind of like resonant experience i've had with the show is um we did an episode with diana asana who wrote brokeback mountain and the combination of like she had she had lost her when we spoke she had only recently lost her writing partner who she wrote the film with and there was an added layer of kind of grief baked into brokeback for her in that she lost her son and keith ledger really reminded her of her son and there was like a healing aspect to to working with him and then of course we as a film society kind of lost we lost heath you know and mm. it was it was just a really like emotional conversation and uh yeah it's, it's sort of the i think it's the only time so far that like you know a guest has kind of been in tears on the show and that that was kind of a special one i, I like yeah, in in terms of the ones that I I sort of direct people to if they've never heard the show before, I'm like, listen to the listen to the Daniels or listen to everything everywhere. Uh, sorry, listen to uh, you know, um, we did an episode with David Kep who wrote Mission Impossible and Jurassic Park and all sorts. You know that there are sort of more there are episodes that I kind of go th kind of direct people to in terms of this is a good access point into the show. The Brokeback one, which is a bit longer and it's pretty deep, both like in terms of the emotional content of it and the 
screenwriting technicality, I suppose, that is probably the one that's left me most awestruck, I think. Wow. Cool. Okay. I need to, I haven't heard that one. I'm going to go back and scoop that one up for sure. <laughs> yeah, same here, actually. I've never actually seen Brokeback Mountain, so I think I might have just, I think that's a job. Some, yeah. some, if there's I, a film I haven't seen, I may just skip that episode because I don't want anything spoiled for me <laughs> yeah, in, yeah. in that sense. <laughs> uh, and then kind of go back. So, yeah. No, I've never actually seen Brokeback Mountain, unfortunately. So, uh, as it's I good, get older, I know, I know it's, there's quite a lot of films I've never watched. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, what was I actually doing in the 90s and early I, 2000s? I was the you know? same. And then you sit there and you go, I really should watch that. And then you think, you look at the dates, like, this film's 15 years old. Mm. Why <laughs> no. am I listening? But, but things pass you by. Life gets life yeah, gets cloggy, exactly. cl- cloggy and in the way and foggy. And you just like, oh, should we check out? I've yeah. never seen Brokeback either. It's been on my radar for years and I've just never gotten around to it. Yeah, well, you'll watch it, you'll finish it, and you'll go, turns out everyone was right. <laughs> yeah, Good. which is normal. Which is normally the case. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who controls the British crown? Who keeps the metric system down? We do. We do. Who keeps the planets off the maps? Who keeps the Martians under wraps? We do. We do. Who holds back the electric car? Okay, Al, well, we always like to try and get to know our guests a little bit more, I guess, not just in in their profession and or what they're known for, but also just in their interests in pop culture and films and movies and such. So we always like to ask, ask our guests, like, uh, like a film or a TV show or or like a video game or something to to pick, just to have a discussion on while that while they're on our podcast. So I, I fired that question off at you a couple of weeks ago, and uh, you picked a you picked a doozy, I think. So if you want to let the the good listeners know what what TV show it was that you've picked, that we can we can have a little discussion on now. Yeah, sure. Well, I actually picked something that sits across all three of those categories. Sure, it does actually. TV, yeah. movies, and games. The Simpsons. I really love uh, like a totally unabashed Simpsons fan fest. <laughs> <laughs> so like, well, what is it about The Simpsons in particular that, I, mean, I guess it means different things to different people, I guess. So like, what, what is what is so special about The Simpsons for you? A, a lot of my early experiences, I guess just because of the time I was growing up and, and how immediate like a phenomenon The Simpsons was, a lot of my kind of really early childhood memories are kind of wrapped up in that show. Like I was, um, I remember I, I used to be allowed to watch it after bath time on a Sunday when I was mm-hmm. really, really little. And um, yeah, sort of like I had like a, a Simpsons t-shirt and uh, I remember there was a, a parade that came to my my hometown once when, um, where, yeah, I sort of got a Bart Simpson balloon that was my, my joy. And um a big famous story in my family is uh, my dad kind of opening the window and the Bart Simpson balloon, like drifting on out oh, no. and up into the sky. Oh and, no! Uh, no. Yeah, yeah, it's my my early trauma. Um, I've been there as a parent, so yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, Dad, if you're listening, I have not forgiven you. I never. Will. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, on on kind of like uh, it, it was very immediately like part of my early life, and I don't know 
necessarily what kind of struck me because obviously so much of the humor is so like adult it's not adult in terms of like the edginess in the way that we'd call south park like an edgy comedy or an adult comedy rather but just like so many of the reference points like are just you have to be like plugged into sort of pop culture that is not aimed at kids like so many of the jokes are and 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 the kind of like thematic content like it's not it's not a children's show and yet there was something about it whether that was the the kind of like whether it's something as simple as like the colors like yeah you know groaning um and the creative team they 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 chose yellow for the skin color of the uh characters because they wanted they wanted it to kind of stand out and they wanted it to just grab you if you're flicking between channels i don't know if it was something as simple as that i think like there was probably like if i was to look back like a there's something about like the kind of like family dynamic everyone could probably see a bit of their own family in and and i think there was yeah it was it was just there was so much fun to it and there was such zippiness to it and even if i wasn't sort of understanding a lot of the jokes i think the 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 pace at which those jokes are zipped through i think just like i couldn't resist the energy of it and um yeah in the in the decades since like it has just continued to be like part of the fabric of my life like mm. uh you know I, I like many people sort of my relationship with the new episodes isn't as strong as the old episodes but um yeah the old episodes are just on a loop in my brain they just live in there rent free and like even like last night like me and um and cam who's the producer of script part we went to see john wick 4 and just like there were so many occasions where just like a a simpsons quote kind of popped into my brain because that is apparently (laughs) the way i process the world like there is no situation no any there's literally nothing no moment in which like i can't find an applicable simpsons quote to apply to that to that moment or whatever it is i'm watching so uh yeah it's it's just kind of been ever present for me for gosh yeah i guess like 25 years yeah if not longer yeah Yeah. wait yeah definitely longer 30 years probably yeah I mean, yeah, I, I think I'm with you, and I'm sure I'm the same with the other guys. Like, it, it was such a, a an impact when it landed in this country, and I think we'd kind of heard like rumors that have come across from America saying you know, like this new show is quite special. You know, it, it it was something that we all had to watch every week when a new episode. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, it, it was quite funny in this country. I, I don't, I can't remember quite the access on on the Simpsons. Was it on Sky? Wasn't it? Or it was on Sky. Yes. Yeah. 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 And then yeah, it moved. We, it moved over to the BBC quite a few years later, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, we'd never had satellite TV, so my memories of The Simpsons are very much like yourself. My mother, she was a single parent, and she rented The Simpsons from the local video store for us back in a day when you'd have like one, like two episodes of a cassette. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. And um, I. Me and my brother must have watched like the first two seasons of The Simpsons over and over and over again because that was the only videos that we could get hold of. So the first two or three seasons are like verbatim scripted into my head. (laughs) (laughs) And so we, yeah, she would rent us the videos so we could, it was quite quite a nice thing actually, so we could actually talk to the other kids at school about it. And we didn't have it on BBC Two till what, the late 90s? Yeah, I remember that being pretty late. It must have been because that supercharged my my relationship. I remember I had like we had Sky in the house like for like a year or something, and like when I was really little, but then like promptly didn't have it. And then I remember when it went on on BBC and became like it was like was it six p.m. every night? Like oh my god, just like I went, I just like it became like the 
I, I, it became just such a part of my day. Like it was, I, I had to be in for like 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. Simpsons. Like it just had to happen, you know? So followed by, I think, Buffy the Vampire Slayer at 6.45 or something like that. I just remember that, that being a good little window of, of, uh, yeah, my, my day. Sounds like a great window of entertainment right there. Yes, definitely. it was pretty great. Pretty yeah. great. I, I was there with you with that. Oh, BBC Two, you can't wait for, you know, boom, here comes the American entertainment. <laughs> for, like two, for like two or three hours that evening. And you'd have American imports that people like us never had Sky. So we were, we're about two years behind everybody else with everything coming in. So Well, that was just what it was back then, wasn't it? Yeah, you know? so. yeah, yeah. So I I I didn't have access to Sky either, but I had a friend who very diligently would sit and record every episode of The Simpsons <laughs> when it came on, and then she would bring in the VHS cassette into school for me, and that thing was like a holy artifact that I couldn't wait to get home and watch, and and yeah, burrowed into my brain also, and I think my brain is twenty percent The Simpsons, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why I can't cook. I can cook toast. Well, I can't make toast because uh, where the the slice of my brain where that information shifts. For the record, I can make toast, but you know, like other kind of adult life skills that I'm a little bit shakier on, where that information should be stored is just like episode se- season three, episode sixteen, and this quote. You know, it's it, the Simpsons has just taken over. Man, I really wish I'd got a Simpsons quiz ready for you, man. That would have been amazing <laughs> just to test that knowledge, but. I mean, the show is still going to this day, and that is quite crazy in on in itself. I mean, I, I kind of dropped off the Simpson train quite a while ago now, and I'm, I've not really watched any of the new stuff. But um, are you as surprised that it's still going, that they've, they've still pumping out episodes? I mean, I, I, mean, I would have thought that it would have yeah. finished ages ago. I think just it's it's so... Nowadays, now that we live in a, like... Uh, such a there there isn't the sort of like monoculture that there was back in the 90s insofar as like today something that we consider to be a phenomenon succession maybe like that might be that might seem big to us but actually like what that translates to in terms of who's even watching that or even aware of it is actually pretty limited like there 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 are very few things that knit together everyone the way that things were able to in the 90s where you know people were listening to essentially this there wasn't the same because there wasn't the internet there wasn't the variety of like you know just different things you could access to kind of get your like pop culture fixes so everyone was pretty much watching the same couple of tv show, uh, tv stations everyone was pretty much listening to the same couple of radio stations and so on and so forth the simpsons was so huge then mm. that like you know, in a way, it is amazing that it's still going today. But I think, like, the momentum of those early years and how big it was then, it's still carrying them to this day. I've sort of interviewed the creative team a few times about it, and they're they're not looking at they're not seeing it as finishing anytime soon. So, uh, yeah, maybe it'll just run and run. What is really interesting and kind of goes back to what I was saying about earlier in terms of just like what you can deduce about the culture in which a cultural artifact comes from. The Simpsons is obviously still going now and has had to adapt quite a lot of its content to like, or, or just naturally has has kind of evolved in, in terms of a lot of the themes of the show and, you know, even little things like the characters hold mobile phones now, the mm. characters go online now, you know, 
it's had to kind of, despite the fact that the, all the characters are frozen in time, they're all, you know, Bart <laughs> yeah. will be 10 forever. But yeah. now he's 10 in an age that is reflective of ours. In the 90s, when the show first came out, like, you know, a lot of the sort of attitudes towards celebrity, towards religion, towards politics, all these different things are so of, it, so of their time. And it's really interesting to watch those early episodes and then watch the new ones and just sort of see where the, the small differences have kind of began to occur and where where things have just morphed because the people making it like for, well there's there's quite a good few people from the the early years who've stayed on like al jeans the showrunner and he's he's still going and he was there from i think season two but for the most part like you know a, a good number of people working on it they're you know they're they're of a young they're of this generation you know so they um they're applying their own attitudes towards it and and yeah it's definitely changed and yeah it's it's, it's interesting to me I'm i'm not surprised that it's still going but I am intrigued, I suppose, by what you can say about the 90s mm. versus today in terms of just through the lens of The Simpsons. It's it's crazy when you watch a modern episode and characters like uh, Comic Book Guy come up and it's like, Comic Book Guy makes no sense now. Comics no. are the biggest no. thing on the planet. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, Otto, the school bus driver. Like that character archetype <laughs> hasn't been relevant for decades. <laughs> Somehow he's still here with his Sony Walkman headphones, yeah, and his like California ac- cool dude accent. It's very strange. Very yeah, strange. the day they give Otto like AirPods, that would be a very <laughs> yeah. very sad day. Yeah. So, so we we all know like the Simpsons have been going for so many years. So they've they've created a ton of different episodes, and I know like more of like the ones that came out in the nineties. This was some of the finest Simpsons episodes going but i mean like is there a particular one that stands out for you it's really difficult because there are so many like facets uh, there are so many different things that i come to the simpsons for and some episodes kind of satisfy one of those particular things in a standout way but aren't necessarily the funniest episode and so yeah i think there's there's a couple there's uh (laughs) the city of new york versus homer simpson is forever one of my like just (laughs) oh my god it's just like absolutely burned into my brain and uh yeah like that would be up there for i guess like capturing a certain kind of americanism i suppose about that the the show was so good at and uh yeah it just is such a great kind of character episode in terms of like homer is for the most part this you know the universe just kind of like (laughs) punish him uh yeah just it's just such a great homer episode a great one like the stone cutters episode's amazing marge versus the monorail is absolutely oh. astounding <laughs> oh. i don't know that any show has ever had a, a like a character who's only appeared in one episode but has made the dent they have quite like the hank scorpio episode yeah yeah, <laughs> so, and that, that's like in terms of those things that you come to the simpsons for like its ability to kind of like be in dialogue with or parody the things kind of going on in in kind of pop culture that is such a good skewering of like bond and you know sort of like those kind of villains from from our kind of cinematic landscape that uh that would be up there for me but it's um yeah it's really hard for me to pick like yeah an episode another thing i should say is there are some like absolutely absolutely like emotionally bruising episodes that uh are definitely sort of up there for me and, and I think are up there in terms of just some of the most beautifully emotive 
animated mainstream content of all time you know there's some astoundingly moving storylines that have yeah uh, more predominantly in the early years but uh yeah that have been in the show yeah definitely it's um always quite refreshing when those i say those kind of programs but like when you look at it as a kid you know you look you think you just watch cartoons so you you kind of have certain expectations when when you go in to watch it yeah as you as you kind of grow with the show you you kind of appreciate what difference there is and when they touch upon those kind of more serious points yeah i think like the show wouldn't have resonated the way it did if it was just just purely on the strength of its jokes which are hilarious i think like the fact that as i mentioned a, a really good kind of like insight i think into why the simpsons struck the chord it did is um you know there was i think it was gosh i forget the president but there was a i think it was bush maybe like the the first bush who said um that he said in a kind of like campaign speech or something that mm. american families needed to be more like the waltons and less like <laughs> the simpsons <laughs> thinking it was like you know just like people need to aspire to the wholesome values of the waltons but actually the reality is the the sort of flaws of the simpsons and you know the fact they are scrounging around you know yeah uh, you know th- i don't know like they just the the the, the dysfunction that's much more relatable than this picture perfect version of what a family looks like and i think sort of some of the core bonds between them and and what like the show says about like how we treat how we bicker with each other in terms of the families that we we are kind of born into but also how you like kind of often love can kind of triumph over those dysfunctions or or you know it sort of eases the dysfunction in some way that was just so much more real than anything else that was being offered and i think it is sort of there is like a quiet emotionality to the show that like when it does it there was just no beating it i still to this day i think like in terms of like coming of age storylines lisa kind of like going on the beach holiday and sort of making those friends and sort of her her kind of battles to sort of like beat to you know between like the the urge to be herself versus trying to be cool like i just i think if you're a teenager you could relate to yeah depending on the episode there was there was just something for everyone in this like in this kind of mass of characters and that's before you actually get to the really wide range of characters outside of the family unit you know there there are timeless characters who are so brilliant like they could they could easily have their own shows but luckily the simpsons came out in a time before those sort of endless spin-offs so um but yeah it, it it's it's the emotionality i think that's uh that's a big part of why it resonated the way it did your thoughts on the the simpsons movie I mean, I speak to people about it. I get mixed reactions back about it. But what was yours? So I really, really liked the movie. I um, We actually covered it on the show. We had Al Jean come on and, um, yeah, like look at their first draft that included, yeah, just, just some different avenues they were going to go down. I, I really like it. I do see it as like a nexus point between like there's enough of the old in there to still feel like old Simpsons, but you can feel the creep towards w- what is now considered like new Simpsons, which... Is yeah, it's it's kind of a little bit more kind of post Family Guy. It's a little bit more kind of like frenetic mm. in its pacing, and yeah, it, it, there's 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 something different that's hard to articulate. I don't necessarily think that's that's good or bad. You know, there's there's a lot of New Simpsons stuff that I really like. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's such a difficult task, especially after so long. People have been clamoring for a Simpsons movie, and it had been rumored for so so long by the time. 
gosh, I think it was 2007, um, that the movie actually came along. And I think considering the task, considering the expectation, they did a good job. I mean, what was so tricky about it, I suppose, was like all the kind of things that TV shows often do when they decide to elevate up into kind of movie format is, you know, like it's often like the family go somewhere. And it's, I mean, to use the example of like something else I threw in the mix earlier, like a wild Thornberry's movie, you know, it's yeah. like they go somewhere, <laughs> you know, it's all those times where like a TV show makes that transition. It's obviously, it's often kind of taking the family out of their usual habitat and it's lent something more cinematic by, or a sense of, spe- a sense of special event by transporting them somewhere else. And, uh, but The Simpsons had had like, you know, gosh, 20 years or something by that point of doing this. They've gone everywhere. Homer had been into space. Yeah. You know? So uh, <laughs> it's really difficult. Like, where do you go? And yeah. uh, I think the fact that they did, and how many times as well have Homer and Marge almost split up? Like we've seen that in the show so many times, but the movie, you know, as it's, uh, the kind of format of these movies, when they do make that step up from TV Often, you know, we have to push the characters into a sort of a, a place of emotional crisis that feels heavy or feels like unprecedented. Marge and Homer have gone through that. Like, you know, one of the first kind of real early episodes that I think like underlined the quality of the show. Marge almost having an affair with, uh, you know, her bowling, the, the, this guy she meets at the bowling alley. All this stuff had meant the task in front of them when making the movie was must have been so difficult. But uh yeah, I, I think for me, it kind of like it, they they pulled it off. I, th- I think that was the biggest one of the biggest crutches like people had, wasn't it, about Marge and Homer splitting up, and like they just wanted them all to be together and just go on this grand adventure together and with with this bigger budget and on a, on the cinema screen. So when when they tried to put a bit of drama in and some conflict, I guess, yeah, it didn't really mix well with some people. Yeah, but- I mean, I, I I totally understand those. Uh, yeah, those arguments. But we we still got Maggie's first word out of it. But it's like, <laughs> but has she has she spoken since, or was that like a one off? You know, I, I haven't really like well, I, say, I haven't really like, watched any. But it's like when you see Kenny's face, right? It only ever happens in the movie. <laughs> yeah, and, I yeah that's, that's a movie thing, and you don't do yeah. that anywhere else. You know? Yeah, fair enough. Who who is your favourite character out of the bunch? Oh, I think I'm a I think I'm a Bart. <laughs> of course. Yeah, I mean, there are days where I feel a little bit kind of. You know, there are days where I feel like a Dr. Nick Riviera in that maybe <laughs> maybe I shouldn't be, uh, you know, I'm, I shouldn't be entrusted with anything. Uh, there are days where, yeah, I sort of definitely feel a bit like Otto, although, yeah, I have AirPods instead of uh, those Sony Walkman headphones. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, uh, I think for the most part, like, but for most of my life, certainly I um, have felt like a pretty big kinship towards Bart. But maybe you, maybe you know, give it a few years. I'll you know you get older, you start to sort of identify well, with Homer a bit more. Yeah. You know, That's yeah, kind of, that kind of you know I'm 45 now, so it's like I'm definitely in Homer's ballpark and definitely relate more to what he goes through these days to what Bart. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> You're telling happen. me you don't get out on your skateboard much these days, man. <laughs> no, mate, no. <laughs> <laughs> that will end up in a trip to hospital, guaranteed. <laughs> Where Doctor Nick, Doctor Nick Riviera would be uh, waiting on hand. More than likely, yeah. So we definitely do not want to uh, uh, go down that route. But and like, if if you didn't have a Cowabunga Bart T-shirt when you were younger, then I'd be disappointed. Oh man, I definitely did. I, I think what the real disappointment is, I don't still have one now. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Might have to remedy it. Remedy that. Oh, no.
thank you for, for coming on, Al. It's been an absolute uh, pleasure to, to be able to speak to you about your career and, and the podcast and, and about The Simpsons. So uh, thank you so much for, for, for coming on. And um, this is the time for you to plug away. Uh, let, let the good <laughs> listeners know where and where to get you. Oh, well, first and foremost, thank you so much for the kind words and for having me on the show. What you guys do is great. So yeah, uh, if, if people want to listen to Script Apart, you can find it on all the usual podcast platforms. Uh, you can go to scriptapart.com. I'm on Twitter, Al Horner, Al underscore Horner, and same again on Instagram, I think. So uh, yeah, find me on any of those places where I'm yelling about what our new episodes are <laughs> and yelling about whatever new project I've got on the go is. So uh, that, that's the kind of main plugs I suppose to do. But yeah, again, just to reiterate, guys, thank you so much for having me on. I've had loads of fun. No, no, it's been, it's been, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Been, thank you. Time of recording that Al's just had a, a piece uh, published in Empire Magazine about AI and the effects in Hollywood, I believe. I think by the time this comes out, it'll be about a month old or whatever. But I think that's definitely something to check out because, you know, we could go down a whole rabbit hole with artificial intelligence right now. But Yeah, that's like, a whole other episode. Yeah. Well, yeah, we have so, six minutes the before name. we have to finish. Can we fit it in? <laughs> <laughs> Can we fit that discussion in? Could, just quickly, I don't think AI, so. Yeah. I don't think so. But yeah, um, no, it's, it's no, definitely, I mean, you, you know. You've got to cover it on the show because the Terminator 2 link, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. Skynet is essentially here, but instead it's decided to run Hollywood now. So Sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, please go and check it out. But yeah, that is all the time we do have for on this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you would like to support the show, then please go to our coffee page uh, where you can support us starting from just a pound. And please also go and check out our Discord. Uh, we would love to come and speak to you about pop culture, retro or modern day. And links to both of those things can be found in the show description or on our website. Speaking of the website, please go and visit at thewolfypod.com where you will find lots of written articles, back catalogue of episodes and much more. Chaps, it's time to say goodbye. Bye-bye now. Goodbye all. Goodbye. Adios. My name has been Jason and you've been listening to What's Wrong With Wolfie, a retro podcast to the max. We'll catch you guys later. Bye. Barking.